Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's the Jim Fannin Show. We've come to take your mind. Am I still on? Wax is in the house. We're going to hit everything politics. It's the Jimmy Fannin Show live. We're not taking your questions. We're going to have a quick hit, and then we're out. Buckle up. It's the Jimmy Fannin Show. Welcome aboard. Here he is on the twatter. And here he is over on Getter. Uh, here he is on his own personal website. All the links are in the show description below, so you can see it. Here's a, here he's on YouTube and his Instagram, and everything you need to know is in the show links below. Brother, thank you for taking the time. I know you're really busy. You know, we joked offline. You're tweeting right up until showtime. You are a busy man. What's going on with you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me. And, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot going on in the world, and I feel like we're... Uh, we're getting fed a certain bill of goods and it's not exactly uh you know the right the right stuff so we got to challenge it whether it's online twitter podcast whatever it is so yeah i appreciate uh, that do it up until showtime just for my listeners to give us a little bit of background where you come from who are your parents how you how'd you grow up where'd you grow up and how'd we get uh, to where you are now which is hey you're a political influencer you're uh you know you're starting conversations and in some cases finishing them so i love that so tell us about gavin no, I appreciate it. I was uh, I was conceived in a petri dish in a lab in Siberia. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, look, I'm originally from New York. I'm from Queens. I uh, live in the city. Um, you know, I've been political for a while. Uh, definitely on the right of the right of the political spectrum for sure. Uh, right now, I I work at Getter, so I'm their uh, their head of global digital. Oh, really? uh, so I have an active profile there, but I'm also involved with them. Uh, that's my day job. Oh, cool. uh, politically, I'm involved in a lot of New York politics. You know, and I run the New York Young Republican Club. Uh, we're the oldest. And largest young Republican club in the country going back over 100 years. And uh, yeah, and now I'm also doing a lot of political commentary. I write a decent number of, uh, you know, op-eds pretty regularly, whether it's for uh, Newsmax, for American Greatness, okay. Town Hall, uh, a whole litany of uh, different uh, conservative opinion sites. And uh, yeah, and I'm active on Twitter, where I give most of my uh, hottest takes. And uh, as of late, it's been focused pretty exclusively on this uh, ongoing crisis in uh, in Ukraine. So I guess that's uh, probably going to be the topic we're going to be most diving into today. Yeah, before we hit that, tell us a little bit who you're backing for the Republican uh, presidential ticket. Um, you know, I, I, 
I, I'm guessing young Republicans aren't backing Trump in huge numbers anymore. So who, who's your guy or have you decided on it yet? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. I think, you know, I think he is still dominant force in the party. I mean, I, I think it's probably going to be his to lose uh, as far as the primary is concerned. Okay. I don't really see who else uh, will have the ability to challenge him. So if he decides to run, he is the guy. Um, I think he's still probably our best shot. Uh, I know DeSantis has a lot of pros to him. Um, you know, every, they both have pros and they both have cons. Uh, there's no real perfect candidate. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's realistically speaking, uh, it's going to be Trump. I think Trump has the charisma factor. He has the following. Uh, he was the guy who moved the Overton window, who shifted really the narrative in the course of this country. Uh, sure, there were failings, uh, which is to be expected for uh, you know person who just got into into this whole dirty mm. political business. But uh, you know, we I, we could talk about you know that could be a three hour discussion yeah. talking about uh, Trump's admin and uh, and what happened, what went wrong, what he failed on, what he did well on. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, obviously, looking at the situation in our country in Canada and the world, uh, it was certainly better time when Trump was in office, even hmm. with all the nonsense that was floating around. Yeah, I was the kind of guy that just said that I wasn't going to generate any new hate for the guy. And as a result, I gave him some room and then he started really making me laugh. So I appreciated his humor. Then he stood and delivered in front of the media like I've never seen a president do. He just loved it. There was no backing away for hours. He would stand up there and give COVID updates and just answer everyone's questions. And then when he started making decisions on China and the wall and immigration and pro-life and everything, I'm like, oh, dude, this, this guy's, he's all right. So, yeah, it kind of broke my heart when the election went down because I really became attached to him and, and I really started to enjoy him. And that, you know, for, for a guy that really didn't look at American politics, I couldn't look away when Trump got in there. It was, it was fascinating for me. I think a lot of people felt the same way as, as you did. You know, they, they became emotionally attached. And, you know, I think it led to a lot of what we saw post-election. You know, things got very heated, justifiably so. Um, but, yeah, he, he is a uh, he is a, uh, a figure in the American body politic that uh, definitely rallies a lot of emotions, both mm -hmm. positive and negative. Uh, he is a force of nature and to and unto himself. Uh, so it's 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 interesting. And it's interesting to going to see uh, his political comeback, which seems to be uh coming along very nicely given all the uh, missteps by the Biden administration, both domestically and now on the world stage. And just to shift gears into the topic of the day that everyone's talking about and everyone's become an expert on, and I'll be the first to admit, I haven't looked at that part of the world in a long time to even know what's going on. Can you boil it down a little bit as far as, and Cerno's last tweet was awesome. I saw it get some love on your page through uh, Candace's uh, quote tweet. So, What's your take on it? And are you able to buy? No, it's got to be nuanced discussion that could go on for hours as well. But is there a way for a guy like you that's been watching it, knows the history, that can break it down for the layman and, and kind of give us the lay of the land? Yeah, look, I'm going to try. It's definitely a complicated, uh, nuanced situation, which I think is probably at the crux of a lot of the issues that is happening in online discussions where people like to paint everything that's going on uh, in the international arena is good guy versus bad guy. It's very naive. It's very sophomoric. It's very stupid. Uh, and it doesn't really play well to what we're seeing 
unfold. But, you know, all of this, you know, goes back, obviously, to the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, when the Soviet Union fell, um, you know, the entire political landscape, the geopolitical landscape in, in Europe and the world shifted drastically. Um, and we had NATO, obviously. NATO was an alliance formed to protect Western Europe against the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union. And after the Soviet Union fell, it started to shift its goals a little bit, but it continued to remain primarily an alliance that was focused against Russia. And there were promises made to Russia that NATO would not expand beyond the unified Germany. Uh, obviously, through the 90s and the 2000s, that was not the case. And it began to expand through Central and Eastern Europe, uh, even into the Baltic states, which at one point were part of the Soviet Union. So NATO was expanded. Um, it really has no well-defined mission. I mean, obviously, during the Cold War, it was an institution to hold back the commies, but uh, Russia is not the Soviet Union. I think a lot of people uh, tend to forget that. It's not the same country ideologically in terms of outlook, in terms of its views, uh, and it has certainly changed. It is a shell of its former self, um, and uh, you have to understand that if you really want to give a serious you know, look at what's going on. So that was some of the background. You have NATO expansion, and Russia's position has always been uh, that NATO expansion uh, so deep into its own sphere of influence is a threat to its own strategic and security interests. In the same way that, you know, I can put myself in the Russian shoes and say, I understand where they're coming from, you know, putting missile systems in Poland, uh, you know, doing NATO exercises right on their border. Obviously, these are things that would make a state like Russia paranoid and would make them suspect of the West, especially since there have been a series of broken promises over the years, in particular as it relates to NATO expansion. So is that to say that Russia has been an innocent actor this entire time? No. Um, but I think it's important if we're going to evaluate these types of situations to put ourselves in our adversary or in the other person's uh, shoes and see how they're thinking, how they can view the situation in order for us to actually come to some sensible policy decisions, which we've been doing anything but. Um, so fast forward a bit to 2014, uh, you had the Ukrainian revolution where the uh, duly elected government of Ukraine, which was very corrupt, uh, was overthrown uh, in a coup d'etat. They were duly elected, but they were overthrown. Um, and there was a lot of popular anger against the regime for corruption. And Ukraine is an extremely corrupt state run by oligarchs. Uh, a lot of money is funneled through there. Uh, you know, we obviously know about a lot of the dealings of the Clintons and the Bidens. I mean, this is sort of the playground of the international elite. Uh, so in 2014, there was a coup uh, that was justifiable, uh, or at least the, the protests were justifiable against the corruption in Ukraine, but it began to become a pro-Western coup, where the pro-Russian government was replaced by a pro-Western government. And that government engaged in a policy of Ukrainification. They immediately began to suppress the Russian language, Russian history, tradition, and culture, which is very prevalent in Ukraine, particularly in the east and the south of the country. Uh, you know, there were, there were many oblasts or provinces of Ukraine that had Russian ethnic majorities and Russian-speaking majorities. Um, and the Western part of Ukraine is obviously more Ukrainian. Uh, so there is an ethnic component, there is a cultural component uh, to this, in addition uh, to the NATO expansion, which is obviously more militaristic and diplomatic in nature. Um, so this new government took over and immediately tensions began, began to you know, rise between Russia, Ukraine, and the West. And that led uh, to Crimea, uh, you know, seceding from Ukraine and then eventually joining the Russian Federation along with the Donbass, which is the two most eastern provinces of Ukraine, uh, Donetsk and Lugansk. 
And these are also very Russian speaking areas. And then since 2014, there has been a civil war uh, in Ukraine uh, with the separatists in the East and the Ukrainian central government. It's been very bloody. It's been very destructive. There's been refugees on both sides, a lot of shelling, and it's been going on pretty indefinitely. Uh, and there have been series of peace treaties that have been trying to be proposed um, that have fallen through. And now escalating things further, there have been renewed uh, pushes by the Ukrainian government to join NATO. And Russia has repeatedly declared that Ukraine joining NATO would be a red line for them, that this would be a serious threat to their national security and strategic interests. Now, you don't have to agree with that. You could think it's paranoia, but at the, it's still an objective fact that this is how the Kremlin feels. Um, and we're basically by pushing this sort of NATO expansion, uh, we're poking a bear and we're creating a situation that's not tenable. Um, and it's going to come to blows eventually. And I think the West has been extremely reckless in how they've pursued this rapid NATO expansion. Uh, and they've continuously pushed Russia into the corner of China. And Russia and China do not naturally have to be allies. In fact, they, they are natural uh, foes and enemies just due to their geographic location and their different geopolitical interests. But because of the West's uh, failures to really have a, a serious and coherent foreign, a real politic view of foreign policy, we have pushed Russia into China's corner. Uh, so now most recently, Russia said, you know, you, you, we, we do not reckon, we, we will not allow Ukraine to join NATO and we do not like uh, the offenses that the Ukrainian government has been making against the Donbass and we would be recognizing their independence. And now it looks like Russia has launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Now, obviously I support Ukraine's right to defend themselves and their sovereignty, but uh, this is not our fight, at least from a US perspective. It's not a US you know, fight. We should not be shedding blood or treasure uh, in a war with Russia. Um, but I also think it's important for us to have sort of introspection and look at how you know some of our policies uh, have led us to this situation and how we can avoid them because uh, obviously the goal is to minimize bloodshed and minimize violence, but uh, there seems to be a lot of people who are pumping their chest out and uh, egging this on more, that they really want a land war in Europe to escalate, which I think is absolutely foolhardy. Um, so this isn't to apologize for Putin. This isn't to cover up for Putin. This is just to be realistic and to understand that Russia is still a nuclear and very formidable military power. And uh, we are really just engaging in policies that are reckless, uh, both for Ukraine and Europe a a as a whole. Um, and then obviously you have a lot of other elements involved here. You know, obviously the energy situation where Europe is very dependent on Russia for their energy. Uh, the United States under Biden has gutted our own energy independence uh, that was achieved under President Trump. This has only given an advantage uh, to Russia's geopolitical situation. So the same people that are pushing for war with, with Russia are also the people that have actively uh, worked to advance Russia's geopolitical position by making Europe and the United States more energy dependent rather than independent. So I, I know that was a lot. Uh, we'll probably have to compartmentalize it, but that's kind of a brief overlook of what's happening. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And uh, talk about Cerno's reducing to the ridiculous. He says all Zelensky had to do was tell the truth about the Biden corruption and he would have uh, saved his country and been a hero forever. <laughs> yeah, look, I <laughs> Love mean- <Cerno>. <laughs> A lot of what happened with uh, Trump and uh, Biden did run through Ukraine and Zelensky uh, did not play his cards right. Um, and as a result, he now has the Biden administration, which is obviously uh, very weak in the face of uh, Russia. And Russia saw this as an opportunity. Um, so Ukraine has played their cards wrong this entire way. I mean, Ukraine uh, could have 
cut its own path, a third way, more neutral, playing both the West and the East off themselves, off each other, and uh, found a way for them to remain, uh, you know, with their territorial integrity. But Ukraine decided they want to go on an aggressive pro-Western approach. And uh, this wasn't supported by people within Ukraine. It certainly wasn't supported by Russia. And now we are being dragged into uh, problems that the Ukrainian government has created, which frankly has been very corrupt and very incompetent for a long time. Um, and again, I want to stress that this is not our fight. Uh, but what's going on now with Russia is that they are, uh, you know, trying to flex their might. They're trying to show that they still have fight left in them and that they can uh, wage war on their near abroad, which is how they call uh, many of these former Soviet republics. And they want to send a message both to the West and to some of their closer neighbors that uh, if you are considering uh, joining this explicitly anti Russian alliance, that there's going to be consequences for it. And again, I'm not saying that the, I'm not passing a moral judgment. I'm not saying that what they're doing is right or wrong. Right. I'm just saying that this is what's happening and we should act accordingly. And that at the end of the day, uh, I really don't think that Russia is our main geostrategic uh, opponent or enemy. It really is China. And uh, this is all a distraction. It's a distraction from the mm. domestic front where there's been a lot of major issues in the economy uh, and and politically and, and culturally and so on and so forth. And it's also a way to, uh, you know, uh, distract from the main threat, which is China. And uh, it's all very laughable. And uh, it's very sad that we're in this situation. I hope it, that there will be negotiations and that peace can uh, return to the continent, but that's going to require uh, people to be uh, a little more humble and a little more uh, and 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 show some restraint because right now it seems that the West uh, is really trying to pump this war up even further, you know, trying mm -hmm. to escalate with sanctions, which don't do anything. They only hurt uh, the common people and with cyber warfare, which again would be a massive escalation. Uh, again, I think Russia, uh, I think Ukraine rather should have every right to, def to defend themselves. Um, but at this point, uh, escalating this further and making this uh, a broader regional conflict is not in anyone's best interests. You've certainly got the politics of distraction. Then you've got China as being, a, you know, the serious adversary and then the weakness of Biden. What do you think, you know, it could be a, a most uh, moderate prediction on short term ramifications this, this has on the economy of the West? Oh, I mean, the, the economy is going to take a tank. It's going to it's going to tank even more. Rather, uh, we're going to see energy prices soar. Uh, we're going to see stock market collapses. Uh, inflation is only going to rise further. I mean, they're 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 contemplating things like kicking Russia out of uh, SWIFT and pushing them out of the international monetary system, uh, which is only going to reduce the ability of the dollar to maintain its reserve currency status. So I think they're setting into motion a lot of things that are going to be actively destructive. Mm -hmm. For, uh, our economy and the world at large for really no for really no strategic benefit um you know uh, inflation is high but it would be a lot higher uh if the united states loses its reserve currency status because most dollars in circulation are circulated abroad uh and there's a high velocity uh the, the, the velocity of money is very high so if you put us in a situation where india china russia and many other uh countries stop using the dollar uh, as their uh, exchange, as their means of exchange, especially as it comes to, uh, you know, energy, uh, a lot of that money is going to be flooding back into the United States, and it's going to cause even further inflationary pressure. Um, so we're, we're putting ourselves in a position uh, to be really economically devastated uh, for, again, no reason. I mean, there, were, there was no reason that NATO needed to be uh, to be rapidly expanding. I mean, NATO, we need to look at NATO, and, and Trump was one of the few people to do this. He said, well, why are we subsidizing the defense of Europe when they're not even meeting their contractual requirements under NATO, that they all have to spend a certain percentage, 2.5%, I believe, of their GDP on defense. And many of them are falling 
far, far short of that. It's mostly falling on the shoulders of the United States uh, to defend these NATO countries. Meanwhile, Germany is happy to make backroom deals with Russia in terms of gas and energy and so on and so right. forth. So the whole thing is so convoluted and so ridiculous. Um, and everyone seems to just want to you know, get into a war and say Russia bad, Russia's the boogeyman. I would encourage everyone uh, to watch uh, President Putin's speech uh, that he gave uh, in the lead up to this invasion. Uh, again, you should learn uh, what the other side is saying and yeah. what they're feeling. And I'm not saying everything he said was truthful or was legitimate, uh, but not every grievance they have is strictly Russian propaganda. And likewise, not every grievance uh, that Ukraine has is gospel. I mean, there are two sides to this to this coin, and we should be objective in, in, in observing it, and we should not, you know, get involved in this sort of thing. It, it's really mm -hmm. not advancing our own interest. We have plenty of problems in our own country, on our border, and the West in general. I mean, the West is, it, we were talking about this a bit off the show, uh, with your own experience in Canada. I mean, the West loves to moralize and preach about the, their virtue and the virtues of freedom and democracy and all these beautiful egalitarian ideas. But uh, you know, over the last several decades, but particularly during COVID, we have seen that a lot of this has been uh, a facade. And, and we have situations in the West right now where a lot of people on account of their medical status or whatever are being treated like second-class citizens and, and their rights are and the rights and civil liberties are being violated. So it's very rich to be watching from the outside and see all these people talk about, you know, we're fighting for democracy, we're fighting uh, uh, for for our for our liberties, Ukraine is on the front lines of this of this this ideological war. When our own home front, we're we're not practicing what we preach, and Ukraine is hardly some kind of bastion of uh, liberal democratic values. So the whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous, and I'm I'm sad more people aren't seeing through it. Yeah, I appreciate your thoughts on uh, the tyranny that exists in Canada. Uh, tell me what it was like to look at. Uh, our government and their reaction to this trucker convoy, you know, I, you know, Gavin McInnes puts it go so great, like the ba the bouncy castles, castles changed everything because we've had all these lies all the way along. You know, first it was the Proud Boys and then everyone's getting pushed into the corner. And now I see McInnes going around. He's doing way more interviews now because they're looking at it going, maybe the guy was just being funny. Like maybe he's not actually a Nazi after all. But tell us a little bit about how it was for you to look up at us and go, what the hell's going on there? And are you fearful that the same tyranny is coming to your own country? I know you have more protections down there, but. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we're seeing in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, it's just it's just sickening. I mean, these are the countries that are constantly ranked, uh, you know, the, the, on the top indexes uh, for, for freedom and democracy and all these things. They're always, you know, the best places to live. But uh, it seems to be that there has been a uh, an underbelly of sort of soft totalitarianism. You know, it, it doesn't look as brutal as China or other countries, but it certainly exists. And I think what you're seeing is, uh, you know, this is this is basically the woke left wing uh, worldview just on steroids. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, everything's nice and dandy until you uh, disagree with them or until you threaten their power. Then all of a sudden, you know, things get a little dicey really quickly. And we saw that in Canada. Uh, and I think, you know, w w this will never be uh, this can never be brushed under the rug. I mean, the entire image of Canada, Trudeau, uh, and the West in general has been tarnished for generations because of uh, the tyranny that we saw under COVID. Uh, and even though we're in the dying embers of this type of uh, 
you know, uh, system. I mean, a lot of them are rolling back a lot of the COVID restrictions. The damage has already been done. Damage has been done uh, to the public trust and faith in their institutions. And uh, it's a really sad day for all of us that uh, that this could happen in the West. And I think it just goes to show that we've been very arrogant and we've been very aloof about what's going on in our own countries in the United States and Canada and elsewhere. We we were resting on our laurels. We thought that you know we had figured it all out. That we were you know always going to be free and happy and dandy. But really, there has been a nasty uh, underbelly of things that have been going on uh, that have been pushing us in the direction of totalitarianism for a while. And we're seeing it with the polarization politically in in, in our countries, particularly in the United States. Uh, we're seeing it in the censorship. We're seeing it in the crackdowns, the lockdowns, uh, and a whole litany of things. So uh, it's very unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. And I think that's why we need to focus on our home front and less on foreign adventurism. We need to look uh, to actually uh, put into practice all the things we preach abroad. We need to focus on getting our own countries on the right path uh, before we could even lecture or even consider uh, involving ourselves in the affairs of other nations. Uh, so uh, what we're seeing is, is horrible. And I think you also made a good point that you know over the last few years, a lot of people have been defamed uh, and called all sorts of really nasty things. And that, that tactic is failing because uh, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Uh, the left has been able to simply dismiss any criticism of it and its policies as any kind of right-wing nut job or neo-Nazi or white supremacist. But I think the people at large are beginning to see through that and they see what a lie it is. It's a lie that's promulgated by the media and there's no trust or faith in, in, in Western media anymore. Uh, so, but again, this is not good. I mean, we're, 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 we, used to, we used to be a society that had high trust, uh, that had high I trust with our government, our institutions, and our system, uh, but that's all being destroyed now uh, pretty rapidly, and it's because of our leadership and our elites who are completely uh, completely just lost the plot in so many ways. Um, and you also made another good point I'll just touch on briefly that, you know, there is there is a value in, in, you know, the United States, for example, has not been perfect during COVID, but uh, there is value in federalism and there is value in codified constitutions. And I think if you look at the rest of the Anglosphere, uh, particularly Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, some of the areas, while we share a lot in common, common law, uh, you know, our, our, our English heritage and a lot of other things, uh, one of the areas that actually differentiated us, particularly politically and governmentally, were, you know, we have a codified constitution with a codified Bill of Rights, and we also have a much stronger system of federalism. Obviously, some degrees of this exist in Canada and Australia, but a place like Florida uh, was really a bastion for the rest of the world. If Florida did not buck the trends with COVID, uh, we still probably would have been locked down. We still would have been under house arrest effectively. Uh, so American federalism and our codified uh, you know, Bill of Rights definitely played a role. And uh, that is really the spirit of the laboratories of democracy because a lot of other places in the world started to realize how insane this was. Uh, and we saw the numbers, we saw the data, we had a control group uh, in places like Florida and elsewhere that showed that these policies not only were they tyrannical, but they weren't effective, and it started to lead to a lot of the rollback. So I guess that is the uh, the silver lining with all of this. What do you take? A lot of our politicians are being accused of being uh, students of Carl Schwab or whatever his name is in the WEF and the infiltration into our own cabinets and the expansion all over the world with the Great Reset. And do you, do you give that much uh, oh, yeah. weight? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a everyone's a little naive. I mean, you have a lot of uh, global elites who have a lot of resources and a lot of time on their hands, and many of them are, you know, sociopathic, and many of them, uh, you know, they, they have been working through different international non-governmental organizations to expand their influence, their power, and their control. I mean, this is this is human nature. These are human incentives. So you have. 
you know, the World Economic Forum. I mean, they definitely have a lot of influence over the Canadian government. Uh, it's as simple as that. And people need to recognize this. And these are things that we should begin to investigate further and really find ways to crack down on it. Because I don't think that it's, it's healthy for a free society uh, to be ruled by a shadowy international cabal that is not accountable to anyone. We have elective representative democracy for a reason. So our elected officials are accountable to the people. They're not accountable uh, to international institutions of finance, of big tech, uh, of whatever it is, a uh, big pharma. Um, but you know, over the last few years, a uh, few decades even in the West, what, what has happened is there's been a concentration of wealth and power in the hands of very few. Uh, and this is the elites, uh, you know, and they really do not care about uh, their nations anymore. They are they are globalists. And that is really the biggest fight we are facing. It is this this globalist movement uh, that seeks to erase borders, that seeks to, you know, institute more centralized control over uh, our nations, our economy, our, in, our, in our daily lives. And uh, it emanates in, in the form of organizations like the World Economic Forum and, uh, you know, the, the Davos crowd and all these other international institutions. So uh, they certainly have a, uh, a very uh, extensive level of control over many Western uh, states. And uh, we see this. I mean, you, you see the color revolutions that have plagued even Eastern Europe, for example. A lot of these were directed and controlled uh, by these NGOs, many of them in aligned with you know, Western intelligence. And to bring it back to, to Russia, Ukraine, that 2014 Euromaidan movement that I alluded to uh, was you know, funded in part by a lot of these same NGOs and Western intelligence uh, that are now being accused of, uh, you know, secretly controlling a lot of other elements of our government and institutions in the West. So this is happening. Uh, it's not conspiratorial. It's just common sense. And it's just, you know, calling calling it as you see it. And I think we need to start to get real about a lot of these things because, you know, uh, not all is uh, well in the in, the, in uh, what's the phrase from Shakespeare, not all is great in the state of Denmark, or whatever it is. It's, it applies to the West. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts on cancel culture, free speech, the public square. And we mentioned or you mentioned the Overton window with articles like we're all proud boys. Now, how the hell have you avoided being canceled completely off the map? <laughs> oh, I, I've been canceled. I've been canceled. I've been doxxed. You know, they've plastered my neighborhood with flyers. Um, they've done a lot. I mean, it's become very difficult for me to hold oh, a job yeah, in yeah, the private the sector. Price, yeah? okay. hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I'm lucky that I've had opportunities through my network and, and other means to have, you know, good paying jobs that I've been able to hold, but I'll never have, you know, a regular private sector corporate job again. I mean, I used to work in, in, in like that. I used to work jobs like that where I kept my political views uh, to myself. But ever since wow. I crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, uh, in terms of, you know, outlying my, my political views and philosophy, I, I, I can never go back. And that was a conscientious decision I made. And it definitely, uh, you know, it had cost to it. And I know a lot of people have, have to go through the same thing if they wish to be, uh, you know, outspoken and public about their views. Uh, but look, I mean, cancel culture and all of these types of things are are tools of the leftists uh, war on, on, on our values. I mean, they want to silence political opposition. They want to uh, destroy dissenting viewpoints. Uh, they do not want a healthy public square or public public discourse. They want their views, their approved, their approved narrative, and that's it. And anyone who dissents to that uh, is going to be defamed, is going to be canceled, is going to be doxxed, is going to be harassed, and is going to be pushed out of proper society. And they're, they're not going to necessarily do it uh, through the uh, through through state mechanisms or through the power of the state. Uh, they'll do it through uh, private companies and corporations, because really what's been happening uh, in the West for many decades, for generations really, has been this Fabian-style, uh, Frankfurt School-style socialism 
socialism that has slowly crept into institutions uh, in government and in the private sector, in uh, academia and in the media and in pop culture. And they are using this sort of these ideological crusaders uh, to enact their will uh, in any way they see fit. So you saw it a lot happening on college campuses. There's a lot of indoctrination going on. Uh, there's a lot of shutdown of different debates and speeches. And they're also doing it now uh, in, 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 in corporate America and, and getting people canceled and, and fired. And they'll say, oh, well, legally, you know, through the, you still have the right of free speech, but what is what is the meaning of free speech if, if you're going to lose your job, your house, your livelihood uh, over it? So uh, it's it's become very difficult. And this is where I definitely disagree with like libertarians and other people who kind of live in a different era where they say, oh, we just have to put our hands up and, you know, there's nothing we can do. No, we, we if we gain power again, if the Republican Party or the right gains power in our country again, uh, we need to use that power to really crush and root out uh, these left-wing elements that are pervading our society because they they will not hesitate to use that same power against us as we've been seeing uh for the past several years so we need to be prepared to do the same so it's a it's um it's a it's a horrible you know pox on the state of our society that uh cancel culture is so prevalent and uh you know having a different opinion uh is is such a horrendous thing do you think the pendulum swings back do you think we ever come back to a more traditional uh viewpoint that's acceptable because i mean you can't say no you know men and women are not equal even though we're not you know but you know the strangest things get you canceled now and and it seems as we evolve through things like COVID, what used to get you canceled, you know, six months from now doesn't get you canceled because now it's a new narrative. So do you think we have to see us go to the far left, to the extreme wing nut end of like boys can become girls and you can't say anything otherwise publicly or you're shamed as a Nazi or a, whatever, a transphobe? And do you think that we come back to the middle politically at all so that, you know, tradition, traditional values are, are, are valued again? Yeah, I think there's a few things going on. I think obviously uh, things are cyclical and, and, and the pendulum will have to swing back. I think the left is very aggressive and sometimes they overplay their hand. I think they realize they overplayed their hand even with COVID, as you've seen the coordinated rollback of a lot of things. Even today, they announced 70 uh, percent of the U.S. doesn't have to wear masks. So. You know, they 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 do have an understanding of where they've overplayed their hand and how much they can get away with, but they love to push that line. Mm -hmm. uh, but the line keeps moving. I mean, you know, what was acceptable uh, 10 years ago uh, would or what's acceptable today would not have been acceptable 10 years ago right. or 10 years before that. So mm -hmm. they have been consistently shifting the Overton window. And up until Trump, no one was shifting it back uh, to the right. But you also have to realize that uh, the bulk of what's pushing a lot of this narrative and a lot of this this wokeism is really a small vocal minority that's very weaponized, that's very very effective and it's very organized. Uh, there is still a silent majority uh, in many countries and in many in many jurisdictions and in many uh, for many different issues um, that just need to be you know awoken and, and organized and weaponized effectively against the left. The problem has been that you know Republicans, at least in the United States, and much of the institutional right have been just you know token opposition. They haven't really offered a lot to fight back. You know they just want to they just want to you know have the speed of leftism just be slowed. They don't actually they want to roll anything back or fight back or change the narrative. So I think we're starting to see that change. A lot of the old conservative, quote unquote, 
gatekeepers, uh, people like the David Frenchers of the world or whoever, who are, you know, they, they don't have a real say anymore. And the people that are really rising in this ideological movement on the right are people who want to fight back, who want to roll back, who want to push back. Uh, so I do think to a degree it's going to be cyclical. I think it's going to have to, something's going to have to give. Uh, and I think we're starting to figure out we're actually in a war, we're in a cultural war, and we're, we, we need to fight back. We cannot just expect that we could just watch the Sunday night football game and barbecue and we're going to be left alone. The left is never going to leave you alone. They're going to do everything they can to push their worldview on you. And that's why they successfully infiltrate these institutions, because the left goes in for a fight and to change things while the right tends to flee. You know, the right leaves the cities, the right leaves, you know, uh, places that, that are not hospitable to them. And the left implants themselves there and they really penetrate the system. So that's one aspect to it. The other aspect to it is that wokeism is inherently destructive. Um, it is a destructive ideology. It, it, it tears down the fabric of society, uh, the strength of states. I mean, we're seeing it. The West is, is completely frail and pathetic as it comes to China and Russia and all these other aggressive, uh, you know, belligerent actors because you know, wokeism is making us weak. It's making us, you know, kind of just pathetic and, and confused and, and completely incomprehensible. It's it's an incoherent nihilistic worldview. Um, so generally the world is going to operate, you know, moving towards equilibrium again. So the societies that are going to wholesale embrace this parasitic ideology known as wokeism uh, will tend to be replaced by societies that do not. So you're seeing even in Europe, you know, that the Islamic societies, which is horrible in its own right in terms of how they treat women and how they treat, you know, minorities and, and how they operate. It's, it's bad. It's definitely a fifth century worldview, but it is a worldview that will easily wipe the floor with wokeism uh, when they come to when they come to a cultural societal clash. So either it's going to happen internally with the pendulum switching uh, or, you know, um, being cyclical or it's going to become a situation where our Western woke society is replaced by uh, more traditional or even barbaric societies. And this has actually been replicated throughout history. I mean, you look at the fall of Rome, you look at all these societies that have collapsed historically. Uh, they're always replaced by the barbarians, the hill people who then rebuild society after that society had become too decadent uh, to defend itself. So I think we're seeing a similar pattern today where the West and this woke leftism is becoming decadent and is going to be replaced by a society that may be more brutal, uh, but is going to return us closer to an equilibrium, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Who are you uh, trusting in the media now? And more importantly, who are you seeing up and coming that you wish had a bigger platform or would get some more time? I mean, I, I get my media from a lot of different sources. I mean, I really don't watch cable news anymore at all. You know, I'll read tons of just, you know, independent writers, bloggers, you know, Twitter, uh, you know, a lot of different podcasts. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to aggregate your sources yeah. uh, from a multitude of different areas. Um, and the good thing is, you know, I, everyone likes to talk doom and gloom, but there's a lot of positives. We have a lot of great talent uh, intellectually on our side that are rising through the ranks that are getting a, a much bigger platform that they ever would have been, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 30 years ago before the internet ever worked before whatever so yeah the internet has been you know a destructive force in some ways in our society or rather not destructive but definitely a a force for change not necessarily positive or negative but uh, even the negatives sometimes are outweighed by the positives in, in the form of being able to elevate uh, alternative, uh, you know, unorthodox viewpoints that counter the mainstream narrative. I mean, just even my Twitter just recently just putting up an alternative view uh, to the standard, you know, State Department propaganda on Ukraine and Russia is getting traction. And people are saying, you know what, that makes 
sense. And uh, that's why, you know, to bring it back to your earlier question, they really have to push cancel culture because uh, they know that there are objectively better ideas. There are objectively better arguments that are logical and more coherent and more persuasive. Uh, and if those viewpoints are allowed to, you know, pervade through society, eventually it'll start to become normal in the mainstream and it'll become the dominant way of thinking. So they need to make sure that anytime any kind of alternative viewpoint or narrative begins to arise, that it's it's immediately squashed and uh, hampered in, in terms of developing. So uh, that's why it's super important to continue to support, you know, independent thinkers, independent writers, and all these emerging people uh, ideologically on our side. Yeah, the effect on comedy, I think they're the canary in the coal mine. When you see guys like Joe Rogan taking a knee, and I love Joe Rogan. I think he's been a, a, a huge benefit to society just from a conversational standpoint. And for him to come out, you know, I, I was a little bummed when he came out and said, you know, I'm sorry. All that stuff was taken out of context. I get it. He's got a big contract. But you don't take a knee. You don't apologize to the mob. Maybe you make a personal apology if it's if it's warranted. But, you know, tell us a little bit about the effect, the chilling effect on I mean, we've had a, a comedian up here in Canada that was arrested for a comedy bet, like for hate speech. It's it's unbelievable. Well, it's funny because the most authentic form of comedy, when you go back to the court jester, the jester is always there to make fun of the ruling class. But a lot of our comedy has been taken over by these PC woke liberals who don't punch up, they punch down. They make fun of the little guy, they make fun of the working people, they make fun of the people who are not in the in crowd and it's just not funny anymore. And that's why, you know, Trump says, whatever goes woke goes broke because, you know, uh, if you're if you're attacking the underdog, no one wants to see that, no one cares for that. So when you get people, especially in comedy, et cetera, who are not necessarily conservative, they're not necessarily right wing, but they're definitely gonna be anti-PC and they're gonna just, you know, mock and 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 uh, mock the, the, the current state of affairs, which there's plenty of material to work with. Yeah. Uh, with how insane and wackadoo our society has become. But, um, you know, that that's why you see a lot of these these comics and others who are now engaging in the cultural wars uh, in different degrees. Uh, and uh, they're they're getting a lot of success and a lot of love for it because there's so much stuff to mock and so many people, uh, even if they're not political, even if they're not on the right of the spectrum, uh, they'll they'll understand it and they'll see it as a being valid form of, you know, social commentary and, and criticism. And as far as Joe Rogan is concerned, I mean, you never apologize. You absolutely never apologize. And they are so scared of people like Joe Rogan because he, you know, has such a massive audience. Mm -hmm. he, he's opened a lot of people's minds up to a whole litany of different uh, topics. I mean, I love his podcast. I've watched tons of his episodes that have nothing to do with politics, you know, mm -hmm. history, you know, science, whatever. I mean, it's it's a very interesting, informative show, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's it co completely runs contrary to the corporate media machine, which right. is you know dumb everything down, make everything stupid, make everything mass produced, and push a propaganda, push a push a narrative. And his show is just authentic. Uh, they don't lower it to the common denominator. They just talk about a lot of interesting, in depth topics and it really isn't it, it, it's a useful thing to, to spread great new ideas and inform people and that's why they hate it so much because now he started to dive into the whole covid uh you know uh situation in terms of the policy prescriptions that were put forward and, and the devastation brought by lockdowns and other things and and all the propaganda that's going on about alternative forms of treatment and the vaccines and all that and they're very scared because he gets what 11 million views per episode you know, cnn doesn't get anywhere close to that none of these outlets do so uh he has a lot of power at his fingertips and he shouldn't be afraid to use it and he shouldn't he certainly shouldn't apologize because once they want blood they're going to get blood and mm -hmm. they see an apology they smell weakness they're going to double double down just on your way i don't want to keep you on time here and uh 
I appreciate your time. So thanks for doing this. Uh, any recommendations to people up and coming, maybe the younger generation? Uh, you might remember a time when you're ignorant and blissful, you know, naive and you didn't even care. Like I remember the time that I looked and I went, oh, I can't look away now. It's like seeing you know, catastrophe. How do you not get yourself involved? Would you recommend it? Do you think that it's something healthy for people coming up and dipping their toe in politics and getting active on social media and screaming from the root, rooftops truth? I think we live in a different time now and, you know, maybe people would have had the luxury in the past of being able to, you know, live a quiet life and remove themselves from this type of stuff. But I think now it's coming to everyone, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, if, if you should always speak truth to power and you should always seek truth and knowledge and, you know, constantly trying to learn more and, 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 and develop, you know, a, a coherent worldview and, uh, you know, stand for, you know, your principles. And uh, I think if you're trying to run away from this kind of stuff, you know, politics, whatever, I mean, we, we, you can't run away from politics. I mean, we, we, I think there's this notion that everyone can just live this boxed off life uh, and not have to worry about anything. I think that's, that's foolhardy. I mean, I definitely think, you know, there are the powers that be that want us all to be, you know, atomized and socially isolated and easily controlled, but mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, they're going to want to continue to push the needle. They're going to want to continue to push the envelope in terms of how they're going to dictate how your life is and where it's going and what your future entails. And uh, I think if you want to be a free person, you should definitely use every resource available to, for, to you to stand up. And I think, you know, even dumb little things like removing yourself from social media, I don't like Twitter, I'm going to get off Twitter. No, you should be on Twitter. You should be on all these platforms because they are still useful to uh, disseminate information and to, to share uh, your own views and, and to read and learn more about what's going on in the world. So I would say, you know, be active in any way you can even if it's as small as running a twitter account or you know being more active in the grassroots or launching you know protests or whatever it is so um i guess the answer is you know be you sh you're gonna have to be active no matter whether you like it or not mm -hmm. uh mckinnis introduced me to you uh, through the platform there are like so many I mean even I've had Josh Denny on Josh Josh Denny's an outrageous interview as well and uh the uh, the spiel with Isabella is uh, Isabella Riley. Um, first of all, she's a dime. Second of all, she's freaking hilarious on Twitter. So uh, your thoughts on the platform there and um, any plans to come back at all or. I would love to come back. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a great platform and uh, there's a lot of great talent on there. And, uh, you know, the, the we, we talked a bit offline about it. I mean, there was a lot of uh, logistical issues with, with uh, you know, doing the show and, uh, a, you know, her, her schedule, my schedule and the demands of it. You know, you you have a show yourself. You know, it's mm -hmm. a, it's not easy. It's a lot of work. You have to prepare. You have to find guests. You got to, you know, keep it interesting. So, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I would love to do it. Uh, I talked to Gavin about it actually recently. So if he wants to, uh, you know, renegotiate with us and maybe offer a little more support, maybe with the studio or whatever, uh, we could definitely get something done. But I'm always happy to come on as a guest on any of the of any of the shows and maybe we'll do a, uh, a reunion episode i'm sure there's a lot to talk about since uh the last episode but I'm, I, we get messages all the time about people saying that was a know, great uh, chemistry between you two you know it was, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's funny it's it's i still get messaged on twitter and dm'd and, and her as well that oh bring the show back bring it back mm -hmm. this was awesome i missed it uh so i guess we did a good job because you know the show itself like we would kind of just show up and just we would just start rambling it yeah. wasn't like a lot of uh a lot of prep it wasn't the most structured show but people liked it yeah. um and it was uh it was certainly interesting i guess so maybe we'll bring it back we'll see 
Cool. Well, just for the viewers out there, they know I don't prep or do any kind of that kind of stuff. I just come out here and wing it. But yeah, you're right. Booking good guests and keeping uh, topics interesting is tough, and it's a lot of work following up with people. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, being uh, accessible and uh, not making me chase you too much. So I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Josh. What, what's your name again? <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy. Uh, no, thank you for having me on. It was, uh, it was great to be here, and uh, I think it was a good discussion. Sorry if I rambled a bit. We just no, had no, a lot of, the floor is yours, a lot man. Of big topics, and I'm trying to get as much in there as I can. More you and less of me is always the way I like to do my show, so that's uh, that's great. I appreciate your time. I'm just going to do a hard cut, and uh, well, it'll be up on the podcast later, and I tweeted it back out with an active link. So uh, stay awesome. gold, my brother, and I hope to see you soon on Censored.TV. Take care, man. Thank All you for right, having man. me. All right, you're welcome. That's what a hard cut looks like. Gavin Wax. Did I call him? I did not call him Josh. I was talking about Josh Denny. There he is on Getter. Here he is on the Twatter. Here he is on his own website, GavinWax.com. Here he is on YouTube. Here he is on the Instagram. Uh, All the links are below. Here's an article. Oh, no, that's not the one. Oh, we're all proud boys now. Uh, must have got some reaction. And uh, what you should know, what you really should know about Ukraine. Gavin Wax, if you need them, that's how you get a hold of them. Thank you, my brother. It was a good conversation. And all to the rest of you. Well, that's two days in a row. I give you an episode yesterday and one today. You're spoiled. It's too much for you. Peace, love, hug your neighbor, and whatever you do. Rip that filthy, dirty diaper off your face. I love you. I'm out.